who you are right now and how you view yourself shapes how you view the past. And as you evolve, as you change, as you grow, your view of the past changes. And it's really, really good for decision-making to distinguish your future self as someone else. Rather than thinking that your future self is you, it's good to define them as a different person and to think, what would they do? Not what would I do, but what would they do? The future is a lot more powerful of a place and a space to begin framing your identity because that's that's ultimately what you have an enormous amount of control on. But the future is a great place to begin framing your, your identity and even to frame your narrative and to be talking about who it is you intend to be. A lot of successful people do that. And I, I actually believe that that's the most authentic thing that someone can do. Most people are not genuine or authentic about what they're truly aspiring for in their life. They either shield their goals, downplay their goals, downplay their ambitions, downplay their beliefs. Like most people are not radically transparent about what they're actually striving for and what they're actually trying to accomplish. We are kept from our goals, not by obstacles, but by a clear path to a lesser goal. Welcome to another episode of More Happy Life, the podcast that will teach you how to trigger upward spirals of health and happiness in your life. I'm Andy Proctor, a happiness activist whose goal is to make your life more happy with science-backed strategies and powerful interviews. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. do you intend to become? Are you satisfied with where you are right now or do you want to witness a positive evolution of yourself? If you desire a change, then this episode is for you. (laughs) Welcome back to another amazing episode of More Happy Life. I honestly believe that this this has to be one of the most life-changing episodes I've ever recorded because it is jam- packed guys it is jam-packed if you are like me you're going to want to re-listen to this one and take notes when you're not driving (laughs) and then go buy the book because today's guest goes over some amazing principles about how to create real change inside yourself so today's guest is dr benjamin hardy and he is an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of willpower doesn't work which we talk about in this podcast as well. Uh, From 2015 to 2018, he was the number one writer in the world on medium.com. During that time, he grew his email list from zero to over 400,000 email subscribers without any paid advertising, all organic because his content is amazing. Ben and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children from the foster system in February 2018, and then one month later, Lauren got pregnant with twins uh, who were born in December of, of 2018 as well. They live in Orlando, and Ben's blogs are still read by millions of people every month. And on a really personal note, I had the great opportunity to get to know Ben a little bit more personally. Um and as well and i i've witnessed firsthand uh that he he's the real deal he doesn't just write really amazing blog posts that make you want to be a better person and and books right uh to and and then have another life uh that he that don't match what he writes he he lives this stuff uh so anyways i share a story in the podcast about how ben's book willpower doesn't work changed my life a few years ago um, when my wife and I read it and made some big changes. Um, And I just, I think his new book is 
even more life-changing. So I hope you listen to this episode. I'm really excited for you to read this book, and I'm really excited to go back and listen to this episode again and again uh, because I need it, and if you are trying to make any sort of positive changes in your life right now or in the future and become a better future self, this is the episode that you need to listen to. Okay, Ben, welcome to the show. So happy to have you on. I love your content and I'm I'm just stoked to to be able to hang out a little bit on the podcast today. Yeah, excited to talk to you, man. Totally. Oh, it's so, been good to hang out with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, I, I loved your book, Willpower Doesn't Work. So I just have a like quick story about that. Your content about changing your environment inspired me and my wife Stacy to actually trade our TV out for a piano. <laughs> and <laughs> Brilliant. And we, yeah, it was it was amazing. We uh we, we really wanted more music in our life. And we didn't really have room in our teeny little apartment, so we decided to box up our TV and store it at my brother's house. <laughs> so I love it. And then Brilliant. We just, yeah, we got a piano, and it was it was seriously life changing. Just because we had more music in our life, it was a lot easier to just sit down and play the piano right there, you know. So all inspired by by your book and all your content is just very inspiring, life changing stuff. So I'm super excited to talk about your new book as well. Personality isn't permanent. That's a really intriguing title. <laughs> and, you know, I've taken the Myers-Briggs, like probably millions of other people. I, my personality type or whatever you, they call that is the ENFJ from that. Uh, so first of all, you say that this test is no more scientific than a horoscope. So tell us a little bit about that. Should we just not trust these tests? Are, we, are, they, are they like hurting us? It really depends. My opinion is that the main value that people get out of these tests. So first off, they're, they're self-reported. So the answer or the output that you get back obviously feels relevant because you're the one who answered the questions. <laughs> um, yeah. And so you get a score back and obviously it feels like the real you because you're the, ones who just, you're the one who just answered the questions. And so of course it's going to come back with whatever you plugged into it. But there's, there's so many things about this. I mean, the first one is, is that when it comes to personality tests, one of the big things that they ignore is context. So mm. the assumption is, is that you're, I don't know if you said an ENFJ or whatever it was, yeah. but the assumption yeah. is that that's who you really are and that that's always true. And that's, right. a, that's a very Western way of looking at people. And it ignores the fact that in different contexts, you're actually going to show up very differently. So that's, that's one incredibly huge downside of these tests is that it assumes that you are who you are always. And in psychology, we know that context kind of shapes who you are. Mm-hmm. As far as like actual research, and one of the things I referenced in the book, you know, the longer the time interval between a test. So if you take the Myers-Briggs and a year later you take it, you might have similar scores unless something really big happened in that year. And uh, if you're someone who's seeking growth, something probably big did happen that year. If you're not someone seeking growth, then maybe you're going to get a similar score. But the, the longer between tests that you go, the, the less correlated those scores are. So that's one of the reasons why these tests are not scientific is because they're, they're not valid or replicable. You're not going to get the same score every time. And in fact, they show that when you, when you take the test, so one study had... Two, two different groups of people. One group took the same test twice with the same administrator. And when they got the same administrator, you know, and I'm not sure what the gap of time was, it's probably a week or two, uh, they got similar scores. But then the other group, they took the same test, but with two different administrators. And when there's two different administrators, the tests weren't correlated. And so, I mean, hmm. that's just another example of like, 
You're going to take a test differently based on what's the situation, uh, who's giving you the test, what the test is for. Those things are honestly less interesting to me though. Hmm. My big thing about these tests is, is that what they do is, is they create an identity. So you, you get a score in your case, you're an ENFJ. And now that, now that shapes how you view yourself and that, and how you view yourself as your identity, which is different from your personality. But in my opinion, identity is a lot more important. Yeah. And so now you've got this identity of this ENFJ and it's going to shape how you view the world. Um, that's called selective attention. And so you're going to assume that you're always an ENFJ, which is basically what psychologists call mindlessness. Uh, it's mm. the same thing that happens when someone thinks they're depressed. They think they're always depressed when that's mm. actually not true. So that's mind mindlessness. Your identity also shapes your past. It shapes how you view your past. It's kind of like the idea we don't, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. But our right. memory is the same way. We see our memory not as it is, but as we, you know, as we think we are. And so I'm more interested in strategically choosing your identity versus using some tests to inform your identity. I really like that. And I think it's interesting too, because most of these personality tests, maybe all of them, I don't know, are based on your perception of your past experience. And I think you mentioned in the book how viewing ourselves in, in terms of our past is the wrong way to, to, to look at it. And so let's talk about that for a second. Why is it, you know, why is the past view of ourselves the wrong way of explaining personality or even identity? Well, the assumption is that your identity or your personality come from your past and that that's kind of, you know, that's why when you go to a therapy session or something like that, you're going to start talking about the past. But that view assumes that the past is inflexible. Uh, and we were just talking about how memory is actually fluid. Uh, memory is not a filing cabinet. Cabinet it constantly changes and adjusts as you have new experiences, as you as you learn new things. Your views of former experiences change. And so, so Brent's life, which is a, a psychologist that you and I both know of, he wrote yeah. a book called Time and Psychological Explanation. Yeah, I've read that book actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's dense. <laughs> but yeah. one of the things he talks about is is that our past is more a reflection of who we currently are. Uh, so it's, it's more mm. accurate to say that our, it's, it's, it's not, it's less accurate to say that the past causes the present and it's more accurate to say that the present causes the past. So who you are right now and how you view yourself shapes how you view the past. And as you evolve, as you change, as you grow, your view of the past changes. And I use a lot of stories and examples in that. That's an example of when you change the context, you actually change the content and the meaning of former experiences. Mm. But there's a lot of really cool now research about future self, future identity. And there's a good TED talk by the Harvard psychologist, Daniel, Gil- uh, Daniel Gilbert, but he's also done a lot of research and a lot of other people are doing research now on former, current, and future selves as three different human beings. And that hmm. if you think about who you were 10 years ago, my guess is that you had slightly different belief system. You had different goals. My guess is that elements of your identity actually were quite different. What you were focused on, what you valued, uh, your situation, your habits, so much of who you were 10 years ago is likely different than who you are today. And probably elements and aspects of yourself you actually no longer identify with. And if you were actually to take a personality test and, and measure it against a personality test that your 10 year you know, former self would have taken, my guess is that actually they'd probably be quite different. But hmm. what, what, what happens is even if people can look to the past, let's just say five, 10 years, and they can recognize, oh yeah, actually things have changed quite a bit. I've learned a few things or I, I see things differently or I'm pursuing things differently. They downplay the potential change in the future. That's called the end of history illusion. 
And basically what Dr. Gilbert says is human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. So basically Hmm. we think that the current version of ourselves is the finished product. We think that who we are right now is who we actually are. The fact of the matter is, is who we are in the future is actually going to be different than we are now. Just like who we were in the past is different from who we are now. And it's really, really good for decision-making to distinguish your future self as someone else. Rather than thinking that your future self is you, it's actually good to say, it's, it's good to define them as a different person and to think, what would they do? Not what would I do, but what would they do? Um, that's really good for decision-making. It's also essential to view and conceptualize a future self in order to engage in deliberate practice. That's something that research has found is that you can't actually engage in deliberate practice, keyword deliberate, unless you have a future self clearly conceptualized with the skills you're trying to develop. And so the future is a lot more powerful of a place and a space to begin framing your identity because that's, that's ultimately what you have an enormous amount of control on. You actually have way more control over the past as well. Uh, and if we want, we can go into that as far as like the trauma and the narrative and stuff. But the future is a great place to begin framing your, your identity and even to frame your narrative and to be talking about who it is you intend to be. A lot of successful people do that. And I, I actually believe that that's the most authentic thing that someone can do. I believe that most people are not genuine or authentic about what they're truly aspiring for in their life. They either shield their, shield their goals, downplay their goals, downplay their ambitions, downplay their beliefs. Like most people are not radically transparent about what they're actually striving for and what they're actually trying to accomplish because it takes courage. It takes courage and authenticity. And also it could be scary to actually say what you want because in, in seeking what you want, you might, get rejected or you might have to reject uh, right. people's situations environment. In fact, you would have to, if you wanted yeah. to become a different version of yourself, you would have, you know, Dan Sullivan always says, if you want to com- commit to the future, you have to reject the present. And so as far as reject, what's keeping you in your present. And so uh, that I think is a more interesting place to start is the future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it makes me think of um, Seligman, Martin Seligman talked about, uh, well, he, he helped write this book called Homo Prospectus, where, you know, our brains, he says in the book, basically, that like our brains default to the future self, or just to the future thinking about the future. I think if we're always defaulting to thinking about the future, why not, why not form a future self that we actually want. And I love that you, like in your book, you say science proves that you, you are going to change throughout your life. So you might as well be intentional or intentional about that change. So do I would actually love to talk briefly also about kind of the, the past and like the trauma and reframing that too. But before we do that, I'd love to kind of dive into how, how can listeners systematically design this this desired future identity or this desired future self i mean there's a like literally probably a hundred questions <laughs> that i <laughs> probably actually there's probably a hundred to 200 questions in the book yeah um that help you kind of begin thinking about that but there's the story of matthew mcconaughey and quite famously i think he won an oscar or an emmy or something like that and he talked about how his future self was his hero, his future self 10 years out. And that every time he, yeah. he got to where he wanted to be, you know, someone would ask, well, now are you the hero that you were 10 years ago? And he'd say, no, because, you know, my hero is always 10 years out. It's, what, it's who I'm mm. chasing and what I'm inspi- it's, it's what's inspiring me. I, I always want someone to chase and it's always myself in the future. Yeah. And so I, I think like beginning to ask yourself, what would you ideally want? So this is where kind of imagination and confidence come in you're not going to necessarily frame out 
like the more confidence you have and the more imagination you have, the better you're going to be at this. And those are obviously developmental skills that you can get. And the more confidence and imagination you have, uh, the more you can, you can, you can do this. Uh, the basis of both of those things is what's called psychological flexibility. So psychological flexibility is basically being able to see things from different angles, be able to, you know, being able to view, imagine, you know, design, and to be able to be flexible with whatever is involved emotionally with going and getting that. Um, but I would just like literally just, it doesn't have to be too hard. If people are just starting out with these types of exercises, maybe literally just start like 90 days in the future and just say, hmm. what do I want more of? And what do I want less of in my life? I think with a little bit of introspection, journaling, having good conversations with people, people you trust, people who encourage you, I think that you can open up about what you would really want and what, or, or what would be interesting or exciting or compelling. And I think just kind of thinking about your circumstances, what are the circumstances of your future self? Like for me, I've gone through different, you know, obviously different episodes in my life. Like when I was in my undergrad, it was like, I want to get in grad school. When I was in grad school, I wanted to become a professional writer. And so just thinking about like, where do you ultimately want to go? Mm. One of the big reasons that trauma is such a big component of all this is that trauma keeps you stuck in the identity and in the emotions of your past. And it stops you from having confidence and imagination for the future. That's one of the big things that research on PTSD and stuff has shown is that trauma is very much a rigid form of emotions. It leads to emotional rigidity and black and white thinking and a fixed mindset ultimately that leads you to thinking in black and white terms rather than being mentally and emotionally flexible and, Mm. and seeing new possibilities the more extreme the trauma, the, the less the imagination and flexibility for the future and also the more frozen your personality is in the past. And so there's a really important quote in the book and it says basically that we are kept from our goals, not by obstacles, but by a clear path to a lesser goal. And I think that that's mm-hmm. really what most people's personality and what most people's, and all of us to some degree, none of us are fully living out our true desires. Mm-hmm. And so to some degree, it's not the obstacles between us and where we want to go in a lot of ways, it's just that we're, we're not willing to emotionally go through whatever's involved, whatever obstacles and learning is involved in becoming our desired future self. And instead, we're just pursuing a lesser goal because a lesser goal is easier to conceptualize. It's, it's less complex. Uh, it requires less confidence. Um, motivation as a concept requires clarity. And so uh, complexity can kill motivation. So if you're not if you, if you don't take the time to clearly conceptualize a future self and then begin developing a clear plan to get there and building the confidence that you can either ac- execute that plan or get help executing that plan, you know, and you wouldn't have the confidence to do that if you've got a lot of un- unreframed, unreframed trauma, yeah, you would then just pursue lesser goals. And so that's where people like Gabor Mate said that personality for most people is a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism to avoid dealing with the emotional problems uh, or wow. traumas of their past. So that's, that, that's why it's very fascinating. That's, that is so fascinating. Personality is a coping mechanism. So it's almost like we're, we're saying, it's a pseudo oh, self. yeah, you're like, well, this is what I am. So I'm, you know, I can't be any more than that. It's a very deterministic way of thinking. Right. It's also very um, black and white. It, it, it's also, it, it, it assumes of objectivity. And the whole notion of the future self and recognizing that your future self will be a different person. And if you're intentional, and I would also argue courageous, but if you're intentional and courageous about actively seeking and becoming that future self, then you're going to have peak experiences. So peak experiences 
Colin Wilson, who's like a really smart philosopher and former educator, he he actually wrote a lot about peak experiences. And obviously mm. Abraham Maslow did as well. But the idea is, is that peak experiences are moments that reframe your identity and your perception. And for most people, those experiences are rare because of the lack of intentionality. Intentionality or purposefully moving forward towards something desired is what creates peak experiences. And so you can actually have those type of moments. You know, it's the whole idea of mind stretched by new experience can never go back. That's how you upgrade your subconscious as well is by actively engaging in those types of behaviors or experiences that kind of reframe how you see yourself in the world. And those are the experiences that lead you to becoming more flexible and confident. And they allow you to be able to uh, be able to undervalue to some degree, or at least not overly defend your current view of yourself and also of the world where, Mm -hmm. because if you're going to overly defend your identity and your views, then that's going to obviously stop you from transforming those and hopefully upgrading them. And so you want to, you know, one aspect of psychological flexibility is holding your current views and emotions loosely as you're intentionally moving forward towards desired goals. And so if your future self is the expanded or upgraded version of yourself with hopefully more freedom, better circumstances, better views, you know, better relationships, they've learned things that your current self hasn't learned. They see things hopefully a little better and they're making better decisions, better uses of their time. In order for that to occur, you're going to have to unlearn aspects of how you currently see yourself in the world, which is totally fine. Uh, It doesn't mean that you don't have an identity. It just means that you're not overly fixated on it or overly attached or overly defensive of it. It means that you know who you are, but you know where you're going. And you also are open to, (laughs) to letting go of things. Yeah, no, definitely. I I think, I think, uh, and I've talked a little bit about anxiety on this podcast and trauma. And I think that like this year I have a, a, a goal, a deliberate goal to, face my fears head on. I actually did one of the That's amazing, the, dude. Yeah. Like Good I literally so I made a list you. of all the fears that I have that it, that just freak me out. And and I'm 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 like month by month, um sometimes uh faster than that, but uh just picking one and just doing it. And last night uh so one of my fears is actually to to like dance expressively in front of other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so so last night I actually went to this thing called uh ecstatic dance and it's it's basically just where you can dance, you know, freely and that's like that's the rule like everybody does it and so it it was definitely it, it, it freaked me out at first. I had to really warm up to it, but but I went with people that I knew and that know me and who were also a little bit freaked out about it. <laughs> So you guys were kind of supporting and encouraging each other. Yes. Yeah. And, and it made it easier. And I think like, I'm just, I'm just even today processing it and I'm thinking about it and like, I'm obviously I'm not as afraid of it now. And it was an environment in which it was acceptable uh, to <laughs> totally. do that. That's a great place to learn. Those types of things. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's interesting because I feel like I almost feel less afraid of the other things that I'm other fears that I'm facing because I did this thing. So, so yeah, I think, and, and I, I'm just thinking about it and it's, I think it's, it's helping me to reframe. And I think that's what I was trying to, I was trying to figure out as you were talking about trauma. So like, 
trauma, I think is so, can be so paralyzing to so many people. And I think anybody who's listening right now, who's thinking, well, yeah, maybe that applies to you because you know, A, B and C, but not, not me because you don't understand my trauma. So what are some key ways to kind of transform that trauma or that maybe the story, right? Maybe it's the story about the trauma that we have. Yeah. Uh, first off, love your story. Human beings have a huge need to be consistent. And so doing what you did was, I mean, I'm not really sure the ultimate motive. Maybe it was just to uh, be more, become more of a flexible person, or maybe it was just to do something different or to break a fear. Um, yeah. I was thinking of exposure therapy and just the idea that the more you expose yourself to something, the less novel it becomes. Yeah. And, um, but also what you did was, in my opinion, an act of courage and, and with, where courage is and where you're stepping out of your comfort zone, that's generally where the most ahas and epiphanies will occur. So I'm guessing that, you know, upon reflection, there's probably interesting things you learned simply by doing that experience. One of the other key, key things, and this kind of relates back to trauma as well, is that the past, as you expose yourself to whatever it was that was so painful, as you're willing to face it, I mean, one of the key reasons why something is trauma is because you've internalized it a specific way and you haven't then released it and let it go. And so it's kind of internalized. If you expose yourself to, to something you're avoiding, eventually it stops being emotional and it starts just becoming informational. So that's kind of generally the better way to view the past. The past is really mm. flexible and useful when it's information, not emotion. When it's, when it's something that you can utilize, something you yeah. can use as, you know, just like you would a podcast, but it doesn't shape you. <laughs> and in a lot of yeah. ways you can filter it or, you know, and so as far as transforming trauma, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, even I, I would argue what you just did to some degree, hmm would transform some form of fear that you've developed in the past. It's important to note that trauma is not just extreme things. Like trauma could be any, any negative experience that's internalized that then kind of keeps you stuck in that past experience. So someone might tell you, as an example, one of the things I've talked about in the book was math trauma. And math trauma happens to almost everyone at some point where they, <laughs> they experience some, you know, someone tells them they're not good at it or they panic in a test, they fail. Yeah. At some point, something negative happens. And unless they've got someone to help them through it, whether it's a good teacher, a coach, a mentor, a parent to help them. Cause what, what, what happens with a trauma is it's a negative experience. It literally could have been just someone told you you're not good at that. And it, it hurt you emotionally and you, you believed it. And then because of that, rather than pursuing it, through obstacles, you pursue a different path to a lesser goal. And so, yeah, you know, trauma is anything that stops you. And, you know, if you have a negative emotional reaction, which is involved in the trauma, and you don't let that out, talk about it and reframe it, then how you're going to view, let's just say math, is going to always be from the lens of that experience and from the emotions of that experience. And so that's going to lead to you not wanting to do it. It's going to lead you to avoiding it. It's going to lead you to not wanting to deal with it, not wanting to talk about it. Right. And so one of the things that Peter Levine said, and he's, he wrote such a good book on trauma, it's called Waking the Tiger, but he said, trauma isn't what happens to you, it's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. And mm. so trauma isn't what happens to you, it's what you hold inside. It's the story that con you, know, you conceptualize about yourself hmm. in the absence of an empathetic witness. And so wow. you need an empathetic witness to help you reframe it. 
you need other people. It's, it's one of the reasons why in addiction circles, they say that you're as sick as your secrets. Because if mm. something negative happens to you and you don't open up about it and, and talk about it and let it out and then get different perspectives and ultimately either coaching or support to help you get back to the idea of setting a goal and pursuing through that emotion and going through the learning curve, then you're going to internalize it, bottle it, create some narrative. It's going to be past focused. And trauma is kind of the core cause. It's the core thing that leads to addiction because you have some form of negative experience in your past which is still impacting you emotionally because you haven't dealt with it and haven't talked about it, haven't exposed yourself to it. So your past is still emotion. It's not information. And in order to deal with it, you know, the coping mechanism in a lot of ways is some form of addiction to distract yourself from it. So addiction from like a lot of my mentors perspectives, but also just in reading about it is a strategy. It's, it's a solution to, to pain or to avoiding various truths or things that you don't want to deal with. It's, it's effective at helping you avoid it. Obviously not, hyper-effective long-term. But the idea that you're as sick as your secrets is a big one. And just thinking, where are you not being open about this? And you can start to surround yourself with people. It could be, honestly, a therapist, could be anyone. But the main thing is, is you want to have people that you can talk to about this stuff and ultimately that can help encourage you. Like I'm thinking about you and your friends. Like you guys, obviously, to some degree, encouraged each other to go do something scary. And... (laughs) You know, there's a book called The Trillion Dollar Coach, which is a really good book. Hmm. Um, but one of the things that they talk about with coaching is, is that coaching is in a lot of ways you build trust and then you encourage people to, to do things that are scary. Like encouragement yeah. is one of the key ways to act courageously. Hmm. And so you want to be around people who can, you know, help you be courageous because it create, you know, courage and obviously other positive emotions such as gratitude, but they're required to go through the ups and downs of learning. Uh, ultimately, what trauma does is if it stops you from being willing to continue learning. And so you stop at the level to, of whatever the trauma was, and you stop imagining a future, and you then pursue some pseudo <laughs> future that you may or may not have chosen, but feels less painful. Mm-hmm. And so from that perspective, personality becomes about pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain, which is a really low level approach or perspective of people. It's a lot more powerful to choose a purpose that you want, a future self or some, some value or some cause or something. It even could be another person. It's kind of like the whole Viktor Frankl thing. You know, yeah. it's like happiness must ensue, but it's better to have a purpose that reshapes your personality through the pursuing of it because you'll go through emotional experiences, transformational experiences, have peak moments, and those will help you become more flexible. And obviously from a, like, a, like a Maslow perspective, more actualized, which from my perspective is honestly just being highly confident, highly imaginative, highly flexible. And, you know, at that stage, you can kind of select and choose goals and learn what needs to be learned and transform and become whatever you want to be. I love that so much. And yeah, I think, I mean, this is a kind of a corny reference, but there's a, a quote from Strictly Ballroom where they say, a life lived in fear is a life half lived. And I think I've thought about that a lot. And that's one of the motivations for tackling my fears. I mean, not the only one, <laughs> uh, but uh but it's it's definitely uh, I don't want to live a life half lived. And one more quick story before we kind of yeah, wrap no, things up. It. Last week I was getting the opportunity to be a guest on on a television show, and um, awesome. and I was freaking out. Like I was just it, when I got it's to the great. yeah, like at the makeup and hair place. Like I I never wear makeup, but I was just like 
kind of beside myself, you know, just kind of like afraid. But the interesting thing, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, trauma and even like exposure therapy, maybe was there were four different takes, I guess you could say, or four different times where they filmed me saying these, these things about the science of happiness. And, and the first one, first of all, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And then, and then the second one was like super easy. And the third one was just like really calm. And I mean, as, as time went on by the fourth time, by the fourth interview, it was just like second nature almost. I just, I was just hanging out with them, you know, and it wasn't like it was, I was freaked out anymore. And so this thing that was super scary at first in my mind, the story I was telling myself, right. All these stories of the what ifs, what if something goes bad or whatever, what if I look like an idiot on TV, we're all just crushed. Right. And, and so I think that that is such a powerful, it's, it's a powerful strategy, I guess. And anyways, I just wanted to kind of kind of fold it all together because I think we do get to choose. We do get to choose what we do and what we become. We, we can be intentional about it. And, and like you say in the book, it, I think it is a lot about storytelling, right? Storytelling about our own memories and, and also about our, our future self. So. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. Storytelling is a very big part of it. And I think that most people's stories or often our stories are reactions to negative experiences, not intentional, emotionally regulated decisions about how we're going to choose to view this thing. Yeah. But also, as I kind of talk about in the book, and I think this is really true, I think that a person's personality, how flexible and intentional they can be in many, many ways has to do with their emotional development as a human being. And emotional development has a lot to do with flexibility and willingness and even acceptance of and commitment to uh, dealing with emotional, you know, like we're talking rigorous emotional experience. I mean, learning in general is a heavily emotional experience. Uh, Mm. and, And I think, you know, for example, whatever your goal may be, if it's to be, you know, like, you know, an influencer in, in positive psychology or like whatever it may be, whatever a person's goal is in order to get from where they are to where they want to go, they have to have those type of, of experiences that you just described where you were beside yourself. And for me, what I call that is yeah. a, a subconscious enhancing experience. Um, for it's, so obviously subconscious is a big aspect and element of personality. And my belief is, is that you are acting as your future self or striving to act as your future self in that situation, the situation was above your confidence level. So it required courage. And obviously you're putting yourself in a space where you were very vulnerable and it was emotional, not informational. You didn't have enough repetition to it. So it was extremely novel uh, and it was intense. And what's interesting is that as people age, they become less open to new experiences like that. They become less open to novelty and they become less open to intensity. And novelty and intensity are, are really healthy for dealing with, you know, for, for growth, for, for true and kind of aggressive learning. And so why I like yeah. about your experience there is, is that it was novel and it was intense <laughs> and it was in a desired direction and it was incredibly emotional and terrifying and it was subconscious enhancing. And, hmm. and so from my perspective, that was you being intentional and courageous. And the extent to which you do more of that in a period of time, the more your personality would change in a, in a, in various directions, you know, hopefully in a, in a desired direction. But my, (laughs) my take is, is that personality is a, is a, an effect. It's not a cause. Uh, I think that the ultimate cause is the kind of the goals and the decisions we make, the goals we set and those kind of, those things form our identity 
And then our identity dictates how we see the world, how we act in the world, how we, you know, what we, what we attend to, who we surround ourselves with and, and the repeated actions and behaviors ultimately reflect what becomes of our personality. It's really powerful. I think it's uh, something that can really change somebody's life. I, I have a wall uh, where I put pictures and objects and things that remind me that I can. I call it my, uh, my actually I can wall <laughs> where there's a voice inside my head. that's like, no, you can't do that. And you know, it's like my, actually I can, you know, uh, and I look at it and, and I like that you said, you're like stepping into a future self that you aren't yet. It's almost like you're pretending to be that future self. Like you're that 10 years from now hero, right? Even though right now you may not be that, but if you but just the more you step act through as it, that person now, right? The more you're consistent with your future versus your former self, obviously yeah. the more you're going to have the emotional and peak experiences that would lead you to becoming that person. Absolutely. No, I totally so agree. It's just up that. to you really, you know, how intentional you want to be about refining the goal and like kind of the vision and defining the future self and then the willingness to go through the emotional rigors of learning. And even I would say reframing and dealing with whatever aspects of the past are still plaguing you. Yeah. And those are all incredibly doable things. And there will be future traumas, you know, as you're pursuing yeah. things that you're going to have to deal with and you can get better and better at emotionally regulating. You can get better and better at seeking help in finding good, healthy coping mechanisms, whether it be like exercise or journaling or whatever it may be mm-hmm. that allows you to settle kind of the emotions of whatever you're dealing with as you're moving towards a goal. Uh, so there's a yeah. lot of, there's a lot yeah. of good things to it, but it, it's Absolutely. kind of up to you how willing you are to deal with emotions, ups and downs um, mm-hmm. versus just kind of avoiding emotion altogether. I think that's powerful. Ben, this has been amazing. We've covered a lot and I love it. I'm excited uh, for all the listeners to hear your book. Um, There's a question that I like to ask all my guests, which is even with all the things we've already talked about, is there any other advice that you would give to listeners who just desperately desire a more happy life today? Yeah, definitely. There's a few things I talk about in the book. One is giving money. This is weird, but giving money away to like someone who needs it. That's, mm. that's subconscious enhancing. Uh, there's a lot of research and just a lot of smart people who talk about donating money as a way to have your subconscious realize that you have plenty mm. and that you can have more. And so I would say it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but find someone who needs some money and you can do it in any way you want. It could be to a cause you believe in. It could be anything, but giving away money, as weird as this sounds, is one of the smartest things you can do (laughs) to make yourself feel better. There's a lot of research on this. Hmm. And as I've gotten more and more aggressive with that, I've, I've kind of gone through, in my opinion, a lot of transformation by, because for me, I see it as investing not only in the cause of whatever it is you're doing or the relationship, whoever it may be, but it's Hmm. also literally investing in your subconscious. Like it's literally investing straight into the deeper, more fundamental assumptions and beliefs you have about the world. And it's a powerful subconscious enhancing behavior that can alter what you come to see and what you come to expect about life. And so I've found that that's, that's powerful. And when you can make someone's day, you know, I mean, you can start by buying someone a meal, but you can get bigger and and bigger and bigger at being generous and you can change people's lives. Uh, I was in an Uber recently and there was like a 50 year old lady who was driving me and she was trying to support her kids through college. She also wanted to finish college, but she needed to pay like a a bill of, you know, a couple hundred bucks. 
And mm-hmm. just given her trying to support her kids, it was going to take her about a year. <laughs> like it was going to mm-hmm. take her several months, if not a year to pay that bill so that she could then start back into school. And like, I'm not trying to say I'm a saint or anything, but like, I was just like, you know what, I'll pay for that. And I paid mm-hmm. the couple hundred bucks and it blew her mind. And she was able to get into college the next semester because that bill was the only thing holding her back. And mm-hmm. so like, for, I'm never going to talk to this lady again, although she said she's going to invite me to her, you know, her, uh, her graduation, graduation which would, I would <laughs> maybe even go to, even though she lives in Texas, but like yeah. just doing those kind of things changes how you feel about yourself and it reframes your perspective of the world. And it, it also kind of creates obviously a lot of gratitude and etc. But it, it allows you to expect and see good things coming your way as well, which I think is important as you're pursuing big goals. Well, I love I love that story, man. That's so cool. And thank you for, for sharing that because I think when we share the kindness uh, that we are giving, I think it inspires other people to be kind too. And so thank you for, for sharing that. And money is a different resource than smiling. You know, smiling obviously is really great to do and giving compliments is great. But money, there's, for a lot of people, there's there's emotions attached to money in different ways, mm. generally from former experiences or from the environment they grew up in, which could be a fixed mindset or a very limiting identity around that construct. And so money is a tool that we're all slightly relying on depending on where we're at. And, uh, yeah. and it's, it's more of an emotional thing than just smiling at someone or giving a compliment. All those, those things are powerful as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. This has been just delightful and fascinating and what an amazing book your first book was amazing and i'm really excited about personality isn't permanent so thank you for for being here where can people find you and follow you and get your book and all those things yeah just benjaminhardy.com if you uh you know you can find blog posts there but you can also pre-order the book personality isn't permanent and um Obviously there's some freebies. If you, if you order the book, you can get like a course. I'm also, I was also a very successful blogger and still am to many degrees. And I have a course called the genius blogging course, which it was at a, it was a full day event where I taught all my blogging strategies, which led to an enormous email list and six figure book deals and things like that. And I I just lay out all of my strategies. People paid like $3,500 to be there. I've sold the course for over a thousand bucks, but I'm giving that away. If anyone's interested in like blogging or building a platform, um, that's also something I'm giving away for free for people who buy personalities. Amazing. Amazing. Ben, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to publish this one and share this with the world. Thanks brother. It's been fun. I really hope this episode helped you to have a more happy life today. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at morehappylife or by going to morehappylife.co. Thanks for listening and see you soon.